Thank you, Pastor Jay. And what a wonderful evening of worship already tonight. Do you have your Bible? I hope that you do, and you're opening your copy of God's Word to 1 Peter. And we're in chapter number one. God's led us into a series of messages over the next several weeks. In 1 Peter chapter number one, we're talking about how to live a godly life in a foreign world. We are aliens here. This is not our home. We're reminded by this, uh, of this by Peter again and again. He begins with chapter number 1, verse 1, and he says to the aliens scattered throughout Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, who are chosen. He said, you are elect, but you are scattered. You are aliens and sojourners here. This is not your home. This is not your final destination. And you need to live for the kingdom that's coming and not for the world that's here. Amen. And so he's reminding us, and in this passage of Scripture, he says, then how shall we live? He's talking about, we're moving to verse number 13 tonight, and it's gonna, uh, we want to deal with how shall I live now? How do I live in this world? How do we live this Christian life in this world where we live as alien and strangers? And how do we live in light of our new life and the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. And that's the $24 question right there, or, or whatever, the big question, right? <laughs> 24 is not much money. So that's the big question. How do I live this life? Right here, right now, in this world, to the honor and the glory of God. In the country of Ukraine, near Zatomer, which is a large city actually that maybe you've never heard of which is directly east toward Chernobyl from Kiev and for the last several years the Lord's given us an opportunity to have a ministry there and to, to train and equip and encourage pastors. One of the lead pastors in the region is a prince of a man by the name of uh, Pastor Peter and his wife's name's Valentina. I've stayed in their home many times when I go uh, there, I stay in their home. I sleep in an upper room, a prophet's room that they've provided. It used to be one of the boys' rooms. And let me, uh, and literally, it's on the rooftop of their house. And uh, Pastor Peter is in, influential in all of the brothers relate to him. And by brothers, these are other pastors that are preaching all around the region. Pastor Peter uh, was born in Russia. He went to school in Russia. He speaks fluent Russian and Ukrainian and German and English. He is uh, uh, broken English. <laughs> and his English is better than my Russian, I can tell you that. <laughs> and we spent hours talking about what it's like to live under communist regime. I wish some of the so-called Marxists wanting to call this country to get back to, into Marxism would listen to the man talk about what it's like to live in oppression and communism. He talked about living a life in communism, about a life of persecution for his faith, about living in an emergent free market democracy and how difficult that was to move from a more socialist communistic economy to a free market economy, about the collapse of business, about the beginning of new businesses, about living in a world in a country filled with graft and corruption and civil war, 
about living in economic hardship. Pastor Peter said, you know, we talked about some of the trials and tribulations as I listened with sympathy to him. He said, quite honestly, we pray for you all in America. We look up to you. We honor you. We, we're curious about you. But we often pray for you because we know it's so easy to be soft and undisciplined when you live a lot in a world that has so much wealth and security. And I said, well, what are some of the lessons that you've learned in that hardship? And he said, well, we've learned to trust him no matter what. Secondly, we've learned to pray. Because when you couldn't do anything else, that's what you did. You prayed. And we've learned to really pray. And we've learned not to live for temporary comforts. And I'll never forget this. He said, we've learned that integrity and your word is more important than any earthly possession. Amen. On Tuesday morning this week, this my friend and my brother was not feeling well, and he told Valentine, I'm going upstairs, and I want to read my Bible and rest. And he went upstairs, and in a moment, he was with Jesus. My heart grieves because I loved him so, but I know he no longer lives in a foreign world, Amen. but he's at home with the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, beginning with verse number 13, he said, therefore gird your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit, fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance. But like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Heavenly Father, I pray that you speak to our heart through your inspired and inerrant word. And Father, that you would challenge us, comfort us, convict us. And Father, lead us to deeper, truer faith and hope and walk with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Peter is writing, he says in verse number 13, therefore, or maybe your version says wherefore, or in, in light of this, what he's saying is connecting to what I've just told you in light of what I've just been reminding you. What has he been reminding them? Number one, that they are aliens and strangers. Secondly, that they are elect and chosen of God. Thirdly, that God has caused them to be born again, that they have a new life in them and a hope because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ in verse number three, that you have an inheritance that's sure, imperishable, undefiled, and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. I'm reminding you of this. And that you have a security. No one snatch you from the hand of the Lord. For it says in verse five, you're protected by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed at the last time. And not only that, 
You have a salvation that is the salvation of your whole life, of your souls. Verse 9, an outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. In light of that, how am I to live my life? And verse number 13, he uses the strong verb here is fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. My friends, it's time for us to fix our hope in this world on the second coming of Jesus Christ and our hope that is sure in him. Your hope, Peter uses the word hope like Paul uses the word faith. He says your hope, your faith, your trust, your reliance is on the Lord Jesus and he is coming again. Does anybody in this room believe that Jesus Christ is coming again? He is coming again. So how should I live my life? Notice in verse number three, it reminds us that we have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. In chapter number four, verse number 12, look what Peter has to say. Chapter four, verse number 12. Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you that comes on you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree that you share the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing that also at the revelation of his glory, you may rejoice with exultation. If you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory and God rest upon you. Amen. Hallelujah. He is coming again for all of us. And he says, I want you to fix your hope at the revelation of Jesus Christ, the second coming of Christ, but the grace that's going to be revealed to you. The word grace here is the idea of the blessing that is coming to you at the coming again of Jesus. Listen, my friends, when Jesus Christ comes again, I know it's going to be grace upon grace given unto us. We will be rewarded for our faithfulness to Christ here. But more than being rewarded for what we have done, there will be a completion of our salvation that we can only just wonder about. 1 John chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. See how great a love the Father has bestowed upon us, that we should be called the children of God, and such we are. For this reason the world does not know us, because it did not know him. We're aliens here. But beloved, now, now we are the children of God. And it's not appeared as yet what we shall be. But listen to this. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Because he sh we shall see him as he is. I'm telling you a lot. What? When Jesus comes again you will be made complete in him. You will look like him. Sin will be removed and you will shine as a son of God in his kingdom. Amen? But at the second coming, you will give an account of your life, how you've lived your life, whether you've lived for the glory of God, whether you've been a faithful steward of what God has called you to do. So when he comes again, you do not want to shrink back in shame at his coming. 
as 1 John reminds us in verse number 28. But you know that he is righteous, and if you know that, then, then you need to practice righteousness if you've been born of him. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 5, listen to how Paul describes, he says concerning this wonderful hope that we have in Jesus Christ, he says, but we shall all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that we may be recompensed for the deeds in the body to what, uh, according to what he's done, whether good or bad. He says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse number 6, he says, we're all always of good courage, knowing while we're at home in the body, we're absent from the body, Lord, because we're aliens here. We walk by faith, not sight. But we're of good courage, I say, and prefer rather to be absent from the body and to be at home with the Lord. But we have as our ambition whether we're at home or uh, absent. He says, to be pleasing to him. We desire more than anything to please him because, and we will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be recompensed, be given account for our deeds, what we've done, whether good or bad. Listen, listen, we've got a hope. Jesus is coming again. Amen? We've got a hope that's steadfast and sure. We have a hope that's living and secure in heaven. And we have a hope that the grace of God is going to come to us in a most marvelous way. And we will be rewarded, but also we'll give an account. So we desire more than anything to be pleasing unto him. Amen? How do you do this? Well, notice, go back to our text again for the night. In 1 Peter chapter number 1, he says, Therefore, gird your minds for action. Gird up your minds. Gird, literally, actually, your translation may say, prepare your minds for action. And that's helping interpret what literally Peter says. What Peter uses is sort of a graphic picture from the Old Testament, New Testament world. And he says, literally it says, gird up the loins of your mind. You say, Pastor, that's weird language. What does that mean? Well, in biblical days, you might have long flowing garments. And those garments, whenever you're prepared for action, activity, or work, like a fisherman would gather his robes and pull them up and then tuck them into his belt and then cinch his belt. So now they're not long robes that you could get tangled up in, but they're girded around your legs. So they're like shorts. You then have this girded about you. The Bible says concerning Elijah, remember that he girded up his loins and ran ahead of Ahab to Jezreel. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 1, verse 17, the same language is used when God tells the prophet, gird up your loins to prepare to preach. What he's saying is, get yourself ready for the work that I have for you. And so he says, ready yourself. Prepare your minds. The same language is used in the book of Luke. 
in chapter number 12, beginning with verse number 35. Luke chapter 12, beginning with verse number 35. Listen to what the scripture has to say. It says, <clears throat> he says, be dressed in readiness. Literally, verse number 35, is let your loins be girded. It's the same language. And so it says, be dressed in readiness. Let your loins be girded and keep your lamps alight and be like men who are waiting for their master when he returns from the wedding feast that they may immediately uh, open the door to him when he comes and knocks. Blessed are those slaves whom the master shall find on alert when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will gird himself to serve and have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. And whether he comes in the second watch or even in the third, he finds them blessed who are those slaves. And be sure of this, if the head of the house had known in the hour that the thief was come, he would not have allowed his house to be broken into. You too be ready for the Son of Man is coming at an hour that you do not expect. At an hour that you think not. Do you all think that Jesus Christ is coming again? One professor asked his students one day, he said, how many of y'all believe Jesus Christ is coming again? They all raised their hand. He said, do you believe he's coming today? And one of the boys said, well, no, I don't think he's coming today. And he said, an hour that you think not, the Son of Man is coming. He's coming. We need to live prepared and ready for the coming again of Jesus Christ. He says, gird up this, stay with me, the loins of your mind. Now that's a weird expression. What's he mean? He's saying, prepare your mind. Intellectually, morally, understand, understand. Tom Schreiner says, this requires effort, concentration, and intentionality to gird up your mind. It's understanding what's going on in this world. If there's one thing that perplexes me, it is to notice how the church of Jesus Christ has no discernment to understand what is going on in this world. Amen. We need to understand the will of God. We need to understand the purpose of the church. Amen. You need to understand the purpose of a Christian life. We need to understand God's call on your life. You need to understand how to live rightly in a broken world. You need to be able to discern what is truth and what's false and not go along with the mob, not go along with the media, not go along with the politicians, but stand on the Word of God for what's true. The reason that we have no tensile strength is we don't know what this book says amen. and we're not discerning the truth. Yes, Lord, amen. It is time for the church of Christ to wake out of our slumber and gird up our mind to understand the will of God. Amen. Edmund Hebert said, a disciplined mind is a vital place in spiritual living. It has an importance in your life. The danger of biblical illiteracy is it leads to a full lack of discernment, which leads to error and false doctrine and spiritual train wrecks. This afternoon,
I spent time talking to a young man that was confused in false doctrine. Reading, getting his doctrine off of the internet. Reading about QAnon and conspiracy theories. And he's carried away by every wind of doctrine. Paul writes in Ephesians 4 that the church should be responsible to teach so that men and women are maturing in their faith, no to be children tossed here and there by waves of every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. But speaking the truth in love were to grow up in all aspects unto him who is the head, even Christ Jesus. Amen. B, secondly, we do this, the second participle that is found here in this text is not only girding your minds, but keeping sober in spirit. And so we are to be self-controlled and alert. I think really better than self-controlled, we need to be spirit-controlled and alert. Keep sober, be sincere, be serious. In chapter number 4, verse number 7, listen to what it says. Chapter 4, verse number 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be of sound judgment, listen, and sober for the purpose of prayer. You need to be sober in your spirit for the purpose of prayer. Listen, the reason people don't have power in prayer because they're distracted by a multitude of things that don't really matter. They're controlled by those things. I tell you, one of, the great, one of the great shames on the church of Jesus Christ in America today is there's no, our church does not, our churches do not take serious the power and the importance of prayer. Amen. And we're distracted by a multitude of other things and busyness and activity, but we're not a people of prayer. We need to be sober for the purpose of prayer. We need to be sober in chapter number 5, verse number 8. Be of sober spirit, be on the alert. Why? Because your adversary, the devil, prowls like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. We live in spiritual warfare, but so many people are caught up in some of the most ridiculous and ignorant things, and they're controlled by those things, and they're not even sober enough to know that we're in a spiritual warfare. So it's time for us to get into a sobriety program. Amen. What inebriates you? What is making you drunk? I'm not talking about alcohol now. What controls you? What entangles you? What distracts you? What disappointments got into you? What's depressing you? Listen, some of you are living so far in the past, you can't live today. You live in the hurt of the past, the disappointments of the past, what somebody did or didn't do to you. Get over, get on, get up, go. Christ is in you. Amen. Live for him. Don't live in fears. What, this might happen, this might happen, this might happen. Yesterday I heard somebody just going crazy. They're supposed to be a strong Christian. Said, well, if, if this election doesn't go this way, then I'm just going to, you know. Where's your faith, man? Where's your faith? 
God's not up in heaven wringing his hand saying, what if this election doesn't go the way we think it should? <laughs> what entangles you? In the book of Ephesians, chapter number 5, verse number 15. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Be discerning. So then do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine. That is excess. Dissipation. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. What fills your life? What controls your life? Let it be the Spirit of Christ in you. Amen? Amen. The second point in our outline tonight, and it really goes right back to the text. He says, as obedient, as obedient children, verse 14, do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves in all your behavior. Live a life of personal holiness. Holiness is not a subject that most preachers preach on today. Because in order to preach on holiness, you have to preach about sin. I'm going to come back and revisit this subject in another sermon soon. But listen closely. How do I live a life of personal holiness? First of all, by living it obediently as sons. Verse 14, as obedient children, don't be conformed to former lust. He says by living obediently as children. He said live as sons of obedience. Not sons of disobedience, you used to live like that. But live like sons of obedience. In chapter 14 of verse 23 of John, it says, If anyone loves me, he'll keep my word. Do you love him? How many of y'all love Jesus? Would you raise your hand? Do you love him? Now my next question is, are you obeying him? If anyone loves me, he will obey my word. Don't tell me that you love him and you refuse to obey him. 1 John chapter 2, verse number 28. 1 John chapter number 2, beginning with verse number 28. And now, little children, abide in him, live in him, dwell in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence, not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he's righteous, listen, you know that everyone who practices righteousness, now listen, is begotten of him, is born of him. 
You've been born again because you're living righteously. It proves the new birth in your life. But if you tell me you were born again and you're living unrighteously, there is no desire in you to pursue holiness. It calls into question the veracity and the truthfulness of what you claim. Amen. Without holiness, you shall not see God. I don't care how many times you've been baptized or not been baptized. Have you been born again? And is the proof the change in your life? I'm not talking about sinless perfection. But God's called you to pursue holiness. To live holy. To live right. Not a caricature of holiness, but genuine holiness in your life. In chapter number 3, 1 John chapter 3, verse 21, Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, receive of Him, because we keep His commandments. And do the things that are pleasing in His sight. And this is His commandment. That we believe in the name of Jesus Christ and love one another as He commanded us. And the one who keeps His commandments abides in Him. Did you hear that? Verse 24, don't skip over that. The one that keeps His commandments, obeys Him, abides in Him. And He in Him. And we know... By this that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he's given to us. It's this transformation in your life. Amen. So 1 Peter chapter number 1 tells us it's obedience. And this obedience proves itself in love. And that's what John said. It shows itself in real love. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse number 22 Since you have in obedience to the truth purified your souls for what? A sincere love of the brethren. Fervently love one another from the heart. I'll tell you what holiness looks like. Holiness looks like happiness in your life. Holiness looks like a joy and a contentment and an understanding of who you are in Jesus. And holiness shows itself in loving others. Loving others. Listen, you can change your decoration. You can change your decor. You can trade in all of your garments, not wear any makeup, and put your hair to bun. But that doesn't mean you're holy. Amen. That's a caricature of holiness. God wants to see holiness in your life. And it would show itself in loving God and loving others. Really. As obedient children, children of obedience. Well, I know a little bit about obedience or disobedience as a child, being a child, and having raised children. Children of obedience recognize authority. It's quiet in here. 
Children of obedience recognize authority. Amen. Right? Children of obedience submit to authority. Children of obedience are trained by discipline. Mm -hmm. Children of obedience understand the will of the parent. Yes, and children of obedience desire to please their parent because they love them, because their parents love them. Children of obedience love their fathers and mothers. Not for fear of his hand that will discipline you, but trust in his hand that guides you. That's children of obedience. All legitimate children, Hebrews tells us, will experience suffering and discipline. But that just proves your sonship. It proves that you're really his children. And God is using it to train you in righteousness. Now listen, some of us grew up with not good parents and with ogre and difficult and ungodly parents. So that example to you is hard. But I want you to listen. You have a heavenly father who is good and he loves you and he's training you and he's put his spirit in you saying Abba Father and he is calling you to walk in obedience with him amen amen a child of obedience is controlled by a parent that teaches and parents them and desires the best for you Recently, my daughter Valerie sent a text picture, an image. She had had a uh, ultrasound, and they took a picture. It is amazing what those pictures look like now. And she had exactly the same picture of this baby. By the way, she's expecting it's going to be a boy, and it looks like it's going to be maybe at the end of December now. It's earlier than we thought. And so she had a picture of Ezra, her oldest child, at the same stage in the womb. And then she had a picture of Isaac at the same stage in the womb. And that little baby that she now carries looks almost exactly like Isaac did in the womb. You can see its little, little nose and the way his face, his chin, it's amazing. By the way, that's a real life and a real baby and a real baby that moves around and a real baby that's alive and a real baby that has a soul and a real baby that's valuable god help us in this country for murdering these babies in the womb it's a heinous crime And she said, look, Daddy, the new baby looks just like his brother in the womb. Some people come up to me and say, you know, Timmy said, I, I was watching Brad the other day. And he is so funny, but he's such a good young man. And then they said, 
He reminds me of you the way he does things. You think that made me ashamed? Made me happy. Sometimes people would say to me, I heard you preaching, I think I see a little bit of your dad in you. Did make me ashamed, made me happy. People say, I was talking to your daughter the other day, Lindsay. She sounds like you. Makes me happy. But more happy than that is if people says, I've been reading this book and looking at you. And you sure looking like Jesus the way you're living your life. That's what God wants in your life. And in mine. Not only living obediently, but live differently. My friends, you are not to live like this world. Amen. Notice he says in verse number 14, he says, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the former lust, which were yours in ignorance in the days before you were saved. He said, don't live like you used to live when you were lost. Paul said it in the book of Romans in chapter number 12. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove the will of God, the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Amen. You know, this world wants you to conform to their standards. This world wants you to run like it runs. This world wants you to join the mob of this world. That's what this world does. In 1 Peter chapter 4, verse number 12, he says, Do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you that comes upon you, for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. But to the degree you share in the sufferings of Christ, keep on rejoicing, so that the revelation of his glory you may result in exaltation. And if you're reviled for the name of Christ, you're blessed because the spirit of glory of God rests on you. Hmm. He says, listen, you're going to suffer in this world. But the spirit of Christ, the glory of Christ rests on you. You don't live like the world. You live differently than the world. But this world tries to, tries to conform you to live like this world. Resist that. Notice in verse chapter 4, verse number 2, he says, So live the rest of your time in the flesh no longer for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. For the time's already passed. Sufficient for you have carried out the desires of the Gentiles. That's times of ignorance. Having pursued a course of sensuality, lust, drunkenness, carouses, drinking parties, abominable idolatries, and in all these things, listen, they're surprised that you do not run with them in the same excess of dissipation. And they malign you. 
they make fun of you because you're not going to live like that anymore. But the time is past for living like that. The time is past. You're no longer, Leviticus chapter 18, do not live anymore after the passions of the world or the idols of culture. Don't live like your old nature. You are crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live. Christ lives in you. And the life you now live now in the flesh, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and delivered himself up for you. So don't value what they value. Don't use the language they use. Don't act like they act. Don't fear what they fear. Don't forgive or refuse to forgive like they do. You look like Jesus. Act differently. In 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, we're just about done, hang on. 2 Corinthians chapter number 6, beginning with verse 17. Do you have your Bible? Look at it. Actually, look at verse 14. Don't be bound together with unbelievers. Do you hear this? Don't act like unbelievers. Don't be in partners. He says, for what partnership of righteousness and lawlessness or fellowship has with light and darkness? He says, now notice in verse number 17, listen close. Therefore come out from among them and be ye separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what is unclean and I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you will be my sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. You're to live differently. In chapter 7, verse number 1, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, and listen, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Don't live sinfully but live holy. I'm out of time. But live according to your calling. The one who called you is holy. You be holy in all of your conduct. As the scripture says, you be holy because I am holy. We will address this subject of holiness and that verse the next time I preach. Take away questions for tonight. Number one, is your mind focused on the coming of Jesus Christ? Is that the hope? Is that the focus of your life? Or are you focused on something else? Secondly, is your mind focused on living a life that pleases Christ? Good question, isn't it? Is your life focused as a life about pleasing Christ? Number three, what is the controlling influence in your life? What moves you? What motivates you? What controls you? Number four, what is the passionate pursuit of your life? What is that? Number five, are you, are you obeying Christ? Are you obeying him in your life? Obeying his will? Obeying his spirit, obeying his word, on mission, doing what he's called you to do. 
Next, are you living differently than this world? Or is your life look like this world? Can I say something? The church of Jesus Christ, when it looks like the world, will never, never be salt and light if you're living like the world. Secondly, one of the reasons the church has no persecution against it is because we are not living separately and differently. What, the other thing is, one of the re, if the church isn't different, what is the hope for this nation? And how is there any hope for revival if the people of God aren't pursuing him and living a holy life? That's, that's just extra. And finally, does your life resemble the God you say you believe in? Does your life resemble the God you say you believe in? Father in heaven, have your way in our hearts and our lives this night. And Father, I pray that we would turn from sin and trust in Christ with all of our hearts. Abide in him. Rest in him. And Father, that we would repent of sin and our former manner of living. And that, Father, we would embrace you in faith and trust and repentance. In Jesus' name, amen.